This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Where's everybody located? Man, we're in Mississippi and Colorado and all sorts of places, man. We're, we're a worldwide Oh, U.S. Why, why, why are you so vague with it? The guy just asked, he asked an easily answered question. I'm in Colorado. He's in Mississippi. Did I not just answer it well, that way? You, were like, you made it sound like we had a worldwide network of espionage going on in multiple regions. It's just, well, let's be honest. We have 26 countries that give us money. So people may be looking at us going, how, you know, what kind of money is this organization getting from 26 and different countries? you thought that's where where Ryan's question was directed towards when he asked? No, I, well, I got flustered, man. I don't think we've ever had such a, like, a, a meaningful guest on the Roundup. Like, you know, dare I say his name, Ryan Callahan, oh, is joining we, us on the Roundup. It's a, it's a um, podcast full of people who ask, ask a lot of questions for a living, right? Right, exactly. Yep. A lot of people that have some very strong opinions on this podcast, too. Um, me notwithstanding, Cody has a lot of opinions, Ryan, just FYI, and he can get on a tear and we have to cut him off at times. Yeah. Sounds That's good. That's my rule. Sounds good.
drink agave. Have we heard from Peach Street Distillery in Colorado no, yet? But Peach Street Distillery, I love your agave extra. Um, and we would love a sponsorship, even if it's just a couple bottles, because I'm ordering it by the case right now. <laughs> Interesting. But it's a tequila. I can't not call it tequila. It's, you cannot call it. It has tequila. to come from the Sonora province of Mexico to officially. It's like you can't you can't make something up where you're at and call it Scotch. It's got to be made in Scotland. Um, this it. is, in fact, if they move their distillery to Mexico and made it the exact same way, it would be very good tequila. But it's agave here. Got it. Got it. Because they're importing the agave. Um, I haven't gone that deep, but yeah. I would assume so. I don't think Palisades, Colorado is agave growing country. But I don't know. Shorter plants. I, I, I got a strawberry beer today, Cody, and you can't make fun of me because this isn't a beater. This is Louisiana home brew. This is the brew that everyone drinks in the spring down here in the south. So cheers there. And Callahan, we apologize because you seem to be still at work and under a, a no alcohol policy at work. It's the uh, just just the time difference, you know. <laughs> well, that doesn't stop Cody. Cody's on the same time frame as you. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know what shifty typically works, you know. <laughs> well, Ryan Callahan, we are so uh, glad that you joined us on the Blood Origins podcast. We really enjoy uh, having good guests on that have strong opinions, uh, not necessarily the same opinions as ours, and. We feel like discussion is something that is missing in today's hunting community, hunting, non-hunting community interaction, especially in the social media world where any sort of discussion is viewed as a yelling match and that I am not in agreement to your opinion just because I push back and say something different. Very true. Very true. Yeah. It's all, it's all yelling when, it, when it's typed out. I think, uh, I think Ryan, you've been a, I don't want to get mushy or anything, but like a dream guest of mine, because I think of all the, of what I would call, uh, I, I don't know a better word, and I don't think the word is perceived as good, but of, of the, of the people that are known, I'm trying not to use the word hunting celebrity, but you are, that's, you are, um, you always have a message too. Right. Um, you're you're I, I don't think there's anyone else using their platform um, in as constructive as a way of as as constructively as you are. I couldn't get the words out. Um, I like how even, uh, you know, it, it, even on on all the mediums that you're on um, entertaining, but at the same time, educating and trying to. Uh, trying to teach and trying to accomplish as opposed to just trying to make a buck is the feeling that I get at least, you know, I mean, I don't know. I've never met you in my life. It could be a big ruse, but that's the way you come across. Um, and, uh, and it's appreciated. Well, yeah, thank, thank you. Uh, I, what well, trying to think of, a what would be a good ruse to pull? Um, the, the money side of things, like I, I understand, you know, I was a fishing hunting guide and, and doing all the um, jobs in between, like, just so you know, 
I'm not going to be here when September rolls around type of jobs, mm-hmm. you know, the, the super big money, hard hitting jobs that you can get when you tell your employer stuff like that. Um, uh, and, and you, yeah, consequently, um, the, the, the 401k is real shallow. So, uh, now that I'm pushing 40, I'm like, God, the retirement thing is, uh, interesting. I should need to think about that stuff. So, uh, but the reality is my, my life is still based around this desire to be outside and, and that's what I really want to do. And, and I have not found that any sort of like real celebrity really is that good for, for folks who just want to hunt and fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I have tried to make, and and I'm not always successful, but I have tried to make like the point of this to try to be informative and, and have some asks, like, you know, you talk about a platform, try to have a, a platform where like, I, I want to educate that that is the thing that's interesting and appealing to me. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like there's a, just a lot more participation that we can ask for out of the, the hunting and fishing community, particularly mm-hmm. on, on the political side of things, mm-hmm. um, which is just like a very, very base level of participation, right? Like, mm-hmm. like fill out the surveys that right. local fishing game sends around, or if you, if you get selected for a federal waterfowl survey, um, and then town hall meetings, be, you know, being a, a part of the community in those ways. And then absolutely writing and, and calling and emailing your elected officials. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a survey right now in Wisconsin that um, for their annual wildlife commission survey, I think it's called, and it's 63 questions and you can select which questions you want to answer. There's a bunch of fisheries questions. Um, but there are some interesting questions that got slipped into that questionnaire that nobody would have thought of. Like the very final question is actually not from the commission itself, but went through some sort of rulemaking process by which they deemed it objective enough to put on there. And it's tied to predator killing contests mm. as a question. Uh, there's a wolf question in there. There's a wolf question with dog hunting. There's all sorts of different questions in there. It's a fascinating survey. And anyone in the world can fill it out. So yeah. that's to your point. Just go fill it out. I spend freaking, you know, more information than you need. But I was lying in bed having my whiskey last night and I filled out the Wisconsin survey just before I went to sleep, you know? Yeah. And, and the if you, if you talk to any biologist out there and you ask them about what they're doing, they'll be very informative. And then if you say, okay, well, knowing that, what would you say about this? thing that isn't what you're working on but it's kind of related and they'll say well i don't know i have to see the data mm-hmm. and and that's how these uh commissions are supposed to be run right right so when they see the data and it's you know 20 percent of people filled out the form that is going to have an impact on 
the other 80% who didn't fill out the form, didn't take the the time to fill out the form Mm -hmm. because they're data-driven folks. Or it was the 80% of anti-hunters that decided to fill in the form instead of hunters. There is, uh, you know, I've always wondered why, like PETA, instead of putting up giant billboards everywhere, I'm like, why don't you just take all that money and buy tags in in quota units? Or, That's you know, true. Like limited limited entry stuff. Yeah, no, no. Here's here's the reason why that wouldn't work, Ryan, is because buying tags doesn't generate donations. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. How do we get our name out there? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we do a little bit of administration before we get into things, but you did have, I do have a segue um, into, I think, the first article. We typically give you the opportunity for the first article, but since we've talked about the commission and what their roles are supposed to be, I think there's an easy article that is on our plate that we want to discuss. But before that, Cody, we got some text messages in because we asked for some text messages, and lo and behold... Text messages rolled in. You know that people can text message us. I keep forgetting the bloody number. 620-860-4804. You know it better It's amazing it. how when we ask for it, they do it. And then when we don't mention it, they don't very much. Um, Marshall from Oregon uh, sent us a uh, text that says, we, we were talking about, uh, oh, shit, which state were One of the Dakotas. No, Nebraska. No, no, Nebraska. Nick in Nebraska. Yeah, no, no. Uh, in the Dakotas, Tim bought that, uh, what was it called? The conservation or the sportsman's tag or something where like one single purchase. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, no. Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. And uh, Marshall was letting us know that Oregon has that too. It's called the sports pack. Um, I'm just going to continually bring this up, hoping that someone from Colorado listens, because it would be sweet if I could buy one thing and it took care of the vast majority of other things. Like, here's a, here's a gripe that I have. It's a very, very petty first world gripe. But when I go to buy my Colorado hunting and fishing license, I also then have to buy a habitat stamp. Like, I have to physically make, I'm, I'm 100% in favor of the habitat stamp. But I don't want there to be another an extra click on the website. I admitted it was a petty thing, but all of the things that I is it a separate transaction or is it in the same ticket line that you well, end up paying it in my shopping day? cart when I check out? It just seems really redundant to me to go like, I'm going to buy item A, which mandates that I buy item B. Why can't item B just be, why can't item B, C, D, and E, you know, my state parks pass? I, I would say that a huge percentage, 90% of the people that buy a hunting and fishing license in in Colorado or any other state with this much public access ground also buy a state parks pass. There should be a pack. That's why I keep bringing this up. I got distracted. Yeah, but we talked, we talked about that last week and, and your, your rhetoric about any increase in price is a cut against hunting goes against that idea because you're going to pay more for it. I don't it. want an increase in price. I just don't want to have to click another thing. Keep the same price. Just put the damn habitat. Just make the habitat stamp part of the hunting license. Like can- Callahan, would you pay more if everything was packaged together? I yeah. I mean, 
I, I, <laughs> I, I don't gamble. I buy, I buy tags, right? So it's like I, I'm, I'm used to to throwing money down that hole. Um, the convenience fee, mm-hmm. right? Is there is, it is the convenience the fee, Cody. fee or whatever? Um, but yeah, I, I'm right in line with you. It's like if if that's a necessary thing, then put it in the package. If somebody's going taking the step to go to the website and buy a license, they are, we can assume, there to be legal in the field. So why don't you just lay out everything that they need to be legal in the field? I think it's political wrangling that they're able to say they haven't raised the cost of a hunting license, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's propaganda is what it is. Anyway, Nick also, or excuse me, Marshall from Oregon also mentioned, uh, to let the guy, the guy being Nick from Nebraska, who uh, texted into us last week and and said that he that he liked the show and and we'd kind of inspired him and he was looking for a mentorship. So Marshall from Oregon said to have him look into the Hunt in Common um, on Facebook. Um, we don't uh, we, we're, we're aware of the Hunt in Common. Um, makes me somewhat weirdly nervous to recommend mentoring programs but nick go check out the hunt in common and see what you think coincidentally the next text was from nick in nebraska again um who said uh callahan you're getting a a visual impression of the six people that listen to us weekly yeah nick nick said we also made remember we made fun of daryl because he washed his uh t-shirt when he got them Okay, well, let's ask Ryan. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan I know I don't. A t-shirt, if you order a T-shirt and it comes in the mail, wear it first or wash it first? It's probably 50-50. It's probably not even 50-50. I mean, it's – if I get a new T-shirt and I'm doing wash, I'll throw it in there before I wear it. But it's not Jeez, a principle. I have call it a principled thing. No, it's it's not like a step that is required for me to put a shirt on. No. Okay. Uh, anyway, Nick from Nebraska said that his wife uh, does pre-wash clothes that come in the mail and gently but strongly encourages him to do the same. So that was his relationship back. And he also had been in correspondence with Nick and uh, we have set him up with multiple options of folks that are going to at least make an offer to help him get out in the field and and get on his first hunt. It's a good time of the year to be. I've always been a fan of turkey season to introduce someone to hunting. It's just uh, you have a much smaller chance of the weather making the entire first hunt in a person's life miserable as hell so maybe nick will get out and hunt a turkey in nebraska this year plus it's a sort of run and gun type scenario that bird talks back to you there's it's an engagement you know there's there's a whole lot more to it than you know sitting in a whitetail stand and don't get me wrong i'm not downing whitetail hunting here but yeah i think the biggest factor is still you're most likely not to freeze your ass off and never want to do it again True, true, true. Uh, Ryan, so we sent you a couple of articles, my man. Um, and as I said, we typically let uh, you decide 
And maybe I'll just I'll still let you decide what article you potentially want to start with. If you if you don't have a a, a particular favorite, I'll, I may recommend one. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think think they're all interesting, right? The opinion piece on I, I would say like the 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 wrong opinion piece that uh, Washington Washington Department of Fish and Fish and Game. Um, needs to be revamped to mm-hmm. um, focus on essentially non-game species. You know, state wildlife agencies spend a ton of time on non-game animals. That's where a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hunter funding goes to non-game species. Um, so that, that person needs to do some more research on, on their opinion. And then uh, the... It's funny that that person was a former commissioner. So the article is Refocus Washington Fish and Wildlife Mandate on Conservation. It was published in the Seattle Times. It was an opinion piece, editorial piece by Fred Kuntz, who is no longer a part of the commission, uh, is actually the person who stepped away from the commission that allowed the commission to re-vote, to go 4-3, to reevaluate the spring bear season, stepped away because, in his own words, the commission was a political quagmire. Yeah. How does the commissioner not know what you just said, Ryan? You know, it's it's interesting too, and and thank you for reminding me. I, I knew that name was was really familiar. Um, I think it it's probably because what he's saying is true. It's a political quagmire, and they're not spending their time dealing with what. You know, if you're a hunter or an angler, you envision these folks spending their entire days on, right? Like the mission statement of, you know, healthy animals providing opportunity, and mm-hmm. um, and instead they're they're dealing with, you know, an unbelievable amount of folks who don't want to put bird feeders away and and but at the same time they want you to get the black bear off their back porch but you can't kill it um and they're not going to change their bird feeder or garbage habits and then they're dealing with folks who are tired of whacking deer and elk with their cars but think that nobody should hunt them and and then the the folks that call in and say well can you please help with why this unit's a draw unit and not an over-the-counter unit anymore. And they're not, unfortunately, like they're dealing with the people side of things, not the animal side of things. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's what I see the most of is, you know, the burnout in those positions comes from the fact that it's like, man, I went to school for wildlife management or biology and, and, I don't get to deal with that. I deal with, with people all the time. And this guy Coons had a, a long history and actually um, some really good references in, in his background as I believe a biologist. Um, and my, my assumption, which is an assumption is that, yeah, the commission in the mm-hmm. state of Washington is just spinning their wheels in some absolute nonsense that 
prevents them from getting down to the brass tacks of wildlife management. It's interesting. I don't think I'm going to let Coons off as easily as maybe you are in that as a commissioner coming into the commission, you would want to understand the workings of the department that you are making decisions for. And in that department, as you mentioned, there are a number of different departments, law enforcement, uh, parks and uh, recreational parks is probably in that department. Um, you have your game biologists, you have your fisheries division, and then you have your non-game species, that there are a lot of, of efforts being undertaken in every wildlife agency, wildlife fisheries agency across the United States for non-game species. You know, one of the things that I thought about when I read that article is the last two paragraphs specifically that he was, it was, he was talking about an improved mandate. I'm going to read it. Direct the Department of Commission to recognize and ensuring wildlife's long-term diversity, health, resilience, and sustainability as the public wildlife trust. Uh, the shift of the department towards a more ecologically focused agency protecting Washington's animal diversity. He mentions animal diversity. He doesn't talk about habitat diversity. Um, and he says, does not mean eliminating hunting or fishing, simply that our relationship with animals and nature is evolving. He's not wrong. Actually, I think he's more correct than wrong because I would argue that I think most departments, Washington State included, is staffed by phenomenal resource biologists that have trained their entire careers, BSCs, Bachelor of Sciences, Masters of Sciences, probably some PhDs in their departments that are all about being ecologically focused. That's what they were trained to be. And when you start you know, protecting umbrella species like elk, like bighorn sheep, like other species, bears, you're also doing a, a service to everything that's underneath that trophic pyramid, underneath that animal. It's essentially, I don't want to call any of those species keystone species, but that's why the whole keystone species concept is in place, is that you focus on that one animal and it serves as an umbrella to everything else underneath it. Non-game species, other game species, habitat diversity, vegetation diversity, all of it. So I think he's right, but he's missed the actual point of what these guys are doing at, at the department level. And yeah, I, I, I do want to say like the that uh, like you get into like the trophic cascade type of argument. It's very much like a walk, don't run type of strategy right to where it's like in order to build up an elk population you also have to look at the the forage situation where that's at and where it's where it's at on the time frame to say like uh you know these in order to keep these grasses sustainable we're gonna have to do It is, it is a quagmire, right? But there's going to come a time to where you're going to have to be an advocate for the reduction of your species that you are holding up. That, that, that is your keystone focus. Yep. Um, in order 
to say the long-term viability of this species is our is our real goal, not just numbers or or size, mm-hmm. because they are going to eat themselves out of house and home. Right. And and that's where this idea of the trophic cascade then supports other life. Mm-hmm. But you can also like build it up to that that keystone where it can have a detrimental effect on other species um, because your timeline's not long enough, right? Well, I think that you, you, you're saying exa- exactly the right thing because, again, I think Kuntz is in his brain. Kuntz cannot think through this, this thing that is, if, if you protect this thing that's at the top, everything else below it is protected. And to your to your point, there has to be a sustainability of numbers across the board to ensure that you have that diversity. In his article, he focuses he, he specifically calls out that we're sustaining only a modest number of food and fish game animals, which is this idea of keystone species if, or or a certain species that you're focusing on, despite knowing that more than two hundred other Washington animals are in conservation need. Okay, if a butterfly is in need, if a butterfly has been in, in, identified on the endangered species list, which is probably what he is referring to here, you're not focusing on the butterfly from a restoration perspective. You're going to focus at a much higher level to ensure that the habitat associated with that, that butterfly, inclusive of what the ecosystem is doing, is going to be sustained such that the butterfly can proliferate. Don't you get the feeling that there, he's just literally looking at the budget items and that there's a bunch of money in this project that's titled elk and there's a bunch of money in this project that's titled black bear and that and that I I literally think that he went in and looked at paperwork and saw that this habitat project habitat project a had the word elk in the title or had game species in the title and a lack of understanding led him to believe that those are the only projects that are happening or that there is a highly unequal amount of money dedicated to those projects the only other option in my mind is it's a and i i like i kind of like get upset with myself how much this pops into my head and I try to fight it but it it really seems like a subversive attack on on hunting and fishing to me I mean that and it's probably not I'm probably a paranoid conspiracy theorist but that's that's it's either he's uninformed or he's being he's being uh subversive in an attack on you know on on trying to in his mind, um, pull back the amount of say that hunters and anglers have um, in the in the department's agenda. That's my thoughts on it. Well, I guess if if you were to like follow it down, like okay, let's let's say like you make everything great for Roosevelt elk, um, and by by doing so, you are following a management plan that that is highly beneficial for the diversity of species um, because th- that's where food grows is in highly diverse habitats 
Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably doing some other things too to to reduce unnecessary mortality, wildlife overpasses, stuff like that. Um, you know, then you are following the what 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 Koontz was saying in his in his op ed of like we we need to address everybody else in Washington, not just the hunters and anglers, right? So if you live in the state of Washington, you have this incredible biological diversity. And if you're a bird watcher or a mountain biker or a a quote unquote non-consumptive user, even though I I think that's a a BS term, um, then the, the state is working on your behalf as well. Um, and so if it were just looking at like black and white, like, well, we need to earmark this for this species and this for this species, that, uh, that would be pretty, pretty darn short-sighted, pretty darn short-sighted. And yeah, just my circular thinking here is like, you, you, the guy very well could just be like pulling the plug, right? Mm. I mean, this is the worst job on the planet. <laughs> unpaid position mm-hmm. in a highly contentious state. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates you no matter what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not enviable. I think during his time there, they, you know, come COVID, uh, Washington state shut down a bunch of public land to access. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, I think revamped the commercial fishing regulations during that time too. It's like, Oh yeah. The fishing, the fishing industry and the timber industry, right. In the state of Washington, man, that it's a lot of people to, to appease. So I, I have some sympathy for the, for the fellow there. Um, ugh. Uh, you're right. I, you're absolutely right. The, the, the job is a, a, a thankless job. But if you're on the Fish and Game Commission, your job. Correct. Right. Is to uh, do what's, what's in the mission statement, which typically is the conservation of your game species and and a mandate to ensure their long-term health and um you know like access to that for for your for the people of the state type of thing so yeah and that that statement right there is why i kind of don't have as much uh you know you 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 I don't, pity wasn't the right word or what, whatever you said of the, the, you, you understand his situation. I, I don't understand his situation. He took a job and now he's go, he took a job with a specific mission and mandate. And yes, I know it's thankless and yes, I don't want the job. And yes, I know he doesn't get paid, but he took it. You know, he, he accepted the, the nomination. Um, and now because he didn't like it, he wants to change the mandate. Um, and I mean, that's really what this article is about is, is modifying the mandate. Um, and I, I, I don't like to, uh, cast a judgment without understanding intentions. And that's very hard from just reading an opinion piece 
Um, and that's where I boil it down to. I can't see any other option than one of two things. And one being he doesn't understand everything that the state agency that he was a leader of um, does. Or it's it's kind of a submersive attack to remove remove uh, influence from hunters and anglers, and I, I don't under, I don't see any other motivation than that. And I hope it's not too. I hope he literally just went in and read a budget and thought, "Wow, too much of this is just for game species," and he didn't understand the residual benefits of preserving habitat for all the species within that within that ecosystem. So, yeah, I, they're very well could be some of that fortunately i'm i mean i'm sure you guys can can track down old coons and get them on the show at least get get a couple of quotes from them i've um, sent him an email i haven't yet to get a response <laughs> i'll keep trying i'm persistent oh yeah. man yeah yeah I, at the end of the day i feel very strongly that uh if you could focus the comments on the people who actually go outside we'd, we'd have a uh, lot better system you know can we just use that as like a, a gateway like do you go outside you may continue the survey if you go outside yes exactly exactly i mean the 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 worst conflict i've ever had on on public land was with a mountain biker while I was mountain biking. Really? I was just a jerk. And and I was on the side of the trail and I was like, hey, why don't you go ahead of me? He was insistent that I go ahead of him. And then he, <laughs> he you know, attempted to run me off the trail about half a dozen times and then kind of cussed me out at, at the bottom of the trail. And I was like, dude, I don't know. Don't know, don't know what the deal is. But um, I've got to you know many 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 times like camoed out carrying a bow or a rifle and and having you know dead stuff on my backpack run into all walks of life out on the public trail systems and and literally that's that's the the closest i've come to having an actual confrontation with with anybody right and i i think if you approach people in the fact that you're obviously out here not carrying around your agenda, you've probably tried to put your agenda behind you at the trailhead mm -hmm. at the very least. Mm -hmm. Now you're just trying to enjoy being outside, mm -hmm. which is exactly what I'm doing. And when you approach people on that level, I've, like I said, I've, I've just, even when I just look horribly intimidating, uh, I've never had a bad bad encounter with anybody you know so so if we can whittle it down if the conversation right. is just people who went outside i'm convinced it would be better we'd, everything would be a lot better i am when you do, you do the survey you have to check i am not a robot and i've been outdoors before those are the two things you have to check before you submit your survey exactly ryan um as a segue from a public lands perspective um you guys were in the mix of that whole corner crossover scenario. Where are we with that right now? Well, um, well, cert I mean, certainly a topic near and near and dear to my heart. Um, 
and I, I will apologize too. Uh, my buddy Randy Newberg did a two part series um, that is supposed to be awesome. And I, I, for this last flight, I had it queued up and, and never, never got to it. But where we're at is that the judge who was overseeing that case sent it up to the federal court and it's set to be heard in federal court, or I don't think it's actually set to be, but it, you know, it's somewhere in, in that mix. So, uh, I, we, and who bumped it up to the federal court? The, 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 the corner crosses, right? No, the judge. The judge did. Yes. So the, the, the corner crossers legal team, they had individual lawyers, but one lawyer filed an appeal that said, you know, based off of these federal laws, there is no case here. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, asked for the case to be dropped. Gotcha. Yeah. And gotcha. and the main one is this, this homesteading law, um, that, you know, says it's illegal for, uh, another person to block someone's access to public lands. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I, I have a, I have a small tidbit on the corner crossing thing. I agree with like, I've listened to, you know, everything that's a ridiculous statement. I've listened to a lot of, the, a lot of the points that have been made on it. Um, and I agree completely with, you know, the, the defense of these guys, the ridiculousness of prosecuting them. I, I, I think the only, I think this is probably in the long run, a good thing that this is happening. I know probably not for these guys. I, I'm not making that claim, um, but something needs to like, something needs to be, something clear needs to be put on paper, right? And very much, I hope it's not a denial of access type of thing. Um, at the same time, there's a small group of people that are, that are going to abuse it. And that, that's a problem that we have to speak about too, is if you're doing this corner crossing type thing, that's what you need to do is cross the corner, not drift 50 yards over. I'm, I'm also a staunch supporter of if someone owns a piece of land, it's their piece of land. And I don't want anyone to confuse that with, I don't think you should be able to cross a corner. I think, you know, I, I pitched this to Randy Newberg that I think that someone should launch a land swap thing where we just got rid of all the damn checkerboards and the, you know, that, that this piece of public went to this private person and there was just a swap. And so we could get rid of these stupid checkerboards that's causing the problem in the first place. We also, as hunters, have a response. I, I think we're going to win this. I think it's going to come out and these guys are going to get off and there's going to be something written down that you can cross corners to get access to this thing. That's the way I feel about it. When and if that happens, you can't abuse it. You, you, you literally have to be so tightly principled that you literally climb over the two 90 degree angles of the property because it's, it's an abuse to go five, 10, a hundred yards out into that private land, trying to kick up that grouse that you just saw fly over there and land. That's an abuse you're trespassing. Um, and those are the things that I, 
I think get get uh, we abuse those points sometimes when we win a battle. Like I think we're going to win with this one. I, I mean, I, I think you're you're correct, man. I'm I'm, I'm a rule follower, um, and you know, I'll I'll tell you that uh, the folks that are making the wide swing onto places that they shouldn't be um, are doing it now, and they're going to do it no matter you know when when the uh, the ruling comes through this is this is going to be a great thing ideally for folks who follow the rules mm-hmm. you know and and that's really who we always talk about the the people who follow the rules right the people who think regulations are a great guideline for managing game species and they think laws are there because uh that's what's holding up our society right yeah, no, I agree with you 100. percent And and it it is the people we always talk about. I guess maybe some part of my brain thinks we should spend a little bit of time talking about those that 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 dick it up for the rest of us. Those that that you know, if, if you're making that wide swing, you're the type of person that got this damn that created this damn problem in the first place, right? If if when these when these weird access checkerboard things happened all over next to railroads and around railroads. If no, if everybody always just kind of jumped the fence right at the corner, nobody would have ever griped. No, no, I shouldn't say nobody again, but very few land. There wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been an ordeal. It was, it was abusers that created this problem in the first place. I am not referencing the people involved in this case. I'm talking about people over the last 80 years um, so we have a responsibility to do what's right and respect private land. Um, and it, uh, le- the, the same, same token, like we, we need to understand that there's plenty of property owners out there right now who willingly are very supportive of this type of access. Right. Like we're not, unfortunately, when we say, you know, private landowners, just like when we say hunters or public land hunters, um, we're not really talking about every single one of them. Right. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I spoke with a guy the other day who, uh, was like, shit, I'll build, build the ladders right now. If they quit ringing my doorbell. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, it's like, which the doorbell ringers are guys that are just trying to do it right as well. Right. Like those are guys that are trying to be respectful and do it right. Come to find out this guy would rather they just stop annoying them. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's really a human problem more so than it's a legal or a uh, property line problem. Um, Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, I, I, I love that you brought that up. I think there's a lot of folks that have taken, uh, you know, I think it's largely, I mean, I think, 90% 90% of the credit needs to be split between between you guys at Meat Eater and between backcountry hunters and anglers that public lands and just kind of, for an umbrella term, just like giving a shit about them, you know, like caring about them in, in whatever way you do. I think you guys have driven that in a great initiative. Um, I think some of the, 
again, that very, very, very small percentage of people have just like made it a hill to die on that they hate it. You know, like if you're not, if you didn't kill your elk on public land, then you're a cheater, you know? And again, super small percentage of people. Um, those are the same people or the same group of people that think all private landowners are assholes. And and the fact of the matter is there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of door knocking and permission asking that works. Right. I mean, I did it um, for Nebraska antelope last year, had a spot picked out and turns out with all of my incredible digital scouting, I picked out a spot that was completely void of antelope. Um, and and so, you know, we knocked on doors and guys are like, yeah, you know, don't tear up the fence. Otherwise, get them, you know, that you, you end up getting this response of, yeah, you can hunt them if you if you take them all. And I'm like, no, we're not. We're, you know, we're, yeah. we're just going to fly. That's like growing up in Montana right. for antelope. Right. Yeah. And uh, there, there's a lot of great landowners out there. And I don't want them to go. I don't want folks to go knock on the door of the guy you just mentioned but knocking on the door and having some manners still works in a lot a lot a lot there's great landowners out there and yeah and, and to your point like so we have a, a block management program in montana which is which is our public access to private land uh state program right like like an access yes or uh the the weha over there in kansas and, and stuff like that uh and i drove all the way up to the northeast part of the state, which, which is a long drive, and go to a 12,000 acre chunk of block management, right? Like bigger than a lot of state parks. Mm -hmm. And uh, go to the sign-in box, and there's like a six-foot stringer of heavily used toilet paper on the ground right next to the sign-in right. box and all i could think about was like my god the disrespect right mm -hmm. and somebody's sending this as a signal either to other hunters to say like oh i'm already here or i've already been here or something or you know to the landowner themselves and um, fortunately I always keep rubber gloves in my truck and I, you know, I picked that up, but I felt very, very, you know, I didn't want to be associated with hunters that day. Right. I don't mm -hmm. know if it was hunters that did that, but, um, I absolutely do understand the negative associations. Right. Um, and especially as the world progresses, like we just have got, there's no other way to go forward other than uh, being a little more courteous, having a little more responsibility. Yeah, for sure. Especially on those private blocks that are acting like public blocks. And we all know that public land access is a, is a barrier of entry to people wanting to hunt. It's getting less and less, uh, you know, less opportunities, public land being taken away left, right and center in cases. And, and we have another, an article on the box this week, Senator Mike Lee in Utah proposing a plan to let the state buy federal public land. 
That's right. That's right. Mike and he says it's for affordable housing. Mike Lee, who tends to be, it, it Mike Mike Lee is. I, I want to give Mike Lee credit that he's done some good things for hunters in the past. He's done some good things for outdoorsmen in the past. Now, someone out there is listening is going to bring up the damn bear ears or bear paws. What was the monument? And then and Mike. It, I, I, he's also done some bad things. I'm not in the Mike Lee fan club. I'm just saying um, this one shocked me. It's why I put it on the list. I The headline seemed like the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of in my life. And then I read the article and it exceeded my expectations of, of how much I'm against it. Um, really quick data. There is 150,000 vacant homes in Utah. And by 2021 numbers, there's about 55,000 homeless people. Now, I know someone's going to say, well, some of those homes are giant mansions and some of those homes are unlivable. And there's this is this to me is the single biggest thing that if everyone that actually everyone that made a statement that they gave a shit about wild places home building is actually the biggest problem in my opinion the single if you had to pick a king problem and put a throne on it 16 million vacant homes in the united states and there's only 560,000 homeless people in the united states we could give each one of them like 30 homes, I think is the way that math works out to. I know it's not that simple. I, I, I know I know it's not that simple. I, I know there's a whole bunch of of underlying circumstances there. But the last damn thing we need to do is take wild places and have the government put mandates on them that they have to be high density affordable housing. Not I'm not saying we shouldn't spend money to help people that need a help that need help with their housing. I am 100% saying it should not be federally protected wild lands. Um I'm also a I, I got to say this and Robbie's about to tell me that I'm at the bottom of my glass of agave and I'm going to get on a soapbox. I'm a huge fan of states rights. I'm a big constitution guy. Um I in certain circumstances, like some of the cases that Idaho, Idaho fights hard to control their land. I'm, I'm sorry, Utah. I just messed my states up completely. Utah fights hard. It's the right, yeah, I talking. got it. Just hang on. And, and they share a border. Yeah, they're close. Okay. Both have mountains. And uh, I'm a fan of states, right? There's been certain times that Utah wanted control of federal lands. And when you looked at that individual, when I looked at that individual instance, I was in favor of it. I think the states should control the majority of their lands um, and have the right to do with them as they please. I know sometimes they do stupid things with them, but I, I believe in states' rights. And But this is one uh, I can't figure out where 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 Senator Lee's coming from on this because it just seems like a horrible idea. Well, I think Senator Lee's got, he's got a track record uh, that really speaks for itself. Like he, 
truly wants the divestiture of public lands, federally held lands uh, across the United States. Uh, he does not believe that those, those lands should, they're not doing anybody any good just letting people hike on them and cut timber and mine and all that stuff. Um, it's, it needs, needs to, needs to be bought, sold, traded, developed. And, and that's, that's his marching orders. Um, I, you know, I don't believe that there's going to be anything affordable about this housing if it were to come through. Um, and I think that you are correct. There's a lot that can be done with the land available now. Yeah, I would assume that the federal land, and just thinking through logistics here, he would be trying to to build affordable housing in and around big cities, you would think. Federal land, I'm assu- I, I have no idea. Callan, you may be, know, Cody, you may know. Is there federal lands that are stopping big cities from expanding? In, in certain Utah? directions, absolutely. Both Salt Lake and Provo. In, in certain directions, not they're not like they're an encircled island, um, but okay. but uh, Salt Lake and its suburbs for sure are bumping up against some national forest. Um, again, I just I just because I can, and then I'm talking, and nobody's everybody's nice enough not to interrupt me. We've got to start looking at places that already have a house sitting on them. Maybe that house isn't right. Maybe that house is a barn. Maybe that building is a barn and it needs to be an apartment complex. Um, Our single biggest habitat destruction or or, or our single biggest realm of possibility is 16 million vacant homes right now in the United States. That's the single biggest thing we could do to, to rewild or to keep things wild. Um, is 16 million homes. You know, if you take that, you know, what average size is a quarter of an acre, um, you're going to come, you have 4 million acres. And every time we build a home, it's like we've got a resource sitting here in that quarter of acre, but we build another one. And I know that the home builders are all going to be mad at me now because they got to make a living. We'll tear one down and build one something. But we sure as hell don't need to be giving federal public lands and putting, putting homes on them when we have 16 million vacant ones. Callahan, we certainly found, uh, we knew it was coming, but we certainly found Cody's soapbox today. Oh, it, it's a good one. I mean, I'm sitting in, in Bozeman, Montana, which, you know, we've been calling Boz Angeles for a long time because the urban sprawl here and, and, certainly doesn't look like there's any sort of a plan for what's going on. And we keep hearing how this valley is going to run out of water in 10 years at, at our current growth rate and what they compare Bozeman to all the time is Salt Lake city. Hmm. And the issues that Salt Lake City's having uh, are definitely popping up here, you know, and, and, 
we're at the the headwaters of a, a, just just a lot of water that drains into these super famous trout streams that everybody shows up for and we're heading into a real low water drought situation and it just is not going to surprise me if there's a lot of blue green algae popping up in in this mm-hmm. stuff Mm-hmm. As things slow down and warm up and they find That's out right. that uh, gorgeous trout water is actually just a bunch of human poop mm-hmm. from uh, <laughs> the spread of Bose Angeles here. So uh, we got a lot of long-term planning, just like we were talking about with the trophic cascades, right? It's like long-term sustainability. We got water planning that we have got to do. Um, every new house around here has got a big, big green lawn. Um, but again, when you're sticking that lawn on the ground, people are like, yeah, I guess we're going to run out of water in 10 years. Wonder what we should start doing about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, mm-hmm. but all the, we talk about migration corridors and wildlife conflict and all these conversations that a lot of these non-hunting, non-angling folks who are coming out here and, and buying the ground um, are having. And, and it's like, well, you, you built your house in a place that was a matchstick away from going up in flames anyway. Um, that's, you know, if you if you're able to step back and look at it, that's a migration corridor. Like you're you're gonna have the elk, yeah, but you're gonna have the black bears and the grizzly bears that follow them, mm-hmm. mountain lions. Like that's part of what you bought when you bought that chunk of ground. Um, and it's not up to the state to regulate your personal experience. Yeah, well said. Well said. Cody, final thoughts. Since we're bumping up on the hour, no, I don't. I, I mean, great discussion. I think it's. I think, uh, as I've said before, we just uh, we don't talk about these things out loud enough. Um, I do think we're getting way better, and I think that uh, you know, I think that Ryan, I really think your podcast is part of that. Um, I really like how you deliver information on. Uh, on your podcast, as opposed to, I feel like delivering the information is a higher priority than entertainment. And I don't mean that just like that when it, as soon as it came out of my mouth, it felt insulting. I'm still, I'm very entertained. Um, but I'm learning. Hey, I had a guy grab me at, uh, I was doing a, a talk at a, you know, conservation fundraiser. And before, like literally right before I, I walked up to speak to everybody, the guy grabbed me and said, Hey, I love the podcast, but, um, and I'm looking forward to your talk, but, uh, you, I hope you don't make it like too sciency like you do on your podcast sometimes. Well, I, I like the exact amount of science that you have on it. It's, it's a, uh, one of the very few podcasts um, minus the Blood Origins podcast, of course, that I um, pay attention to it when the notification comes up on my phone that there's a new episode. 
Um, and it's, it's because I, I like to, I like to hear the conversations. I don't always, um, you know, I, I, it, it's not about agreeing. It's about being informed. And part of being informed is even when there's someone that you disagree with, I think understanding their opinion and, and intentions behind it is important because that's where you learn, not just, not just, uh, putting up a defense to it. So I will, uh, continue to try to have people with logical things to say as as guests on the podcast here that's my goal and i appreciate you coming on i know you're busy and uh hopefully it's about time for you to have a little whiskey there in in bose angeles oh i i appreciate it. i'm gonna go uh work work on my podcast uh if if i can give a plug we are working on land access initiative which is awesome um raising money to provide more access to hunting and fishing. And I've got some really cool projects that folks have submitted. Um, right. River accesses, easements, and a chunk of ground that would connect to, would connect a an accessible chunk of BLM to a non-accessible chunk of BLM. And um, so I'm looking forward to doing some good with that. Yeah, that's great. That's money that Meat Eater has raised that is going forward and putting uh, conservation projects in the ground, right, through this land access initiative? Yes, and I don't want to – I really want to be careful with the fact that that, that we at Meat Eater are going to donate a bunch of money to, but we've facilitated some some fundraising. Correct, correct. From, facilitated from fundraising. everybody. From, yep. That's all of us. Yep. We're, gonna, we're all going to cut a big check and have something more to hunt and fish on. So, Well, as you get ready for your podcast, I will final, I'll, I'll, I'll have the final say here because tomorrow we will be releasing a podcast with the professional hunter that just took the largest elephant um, tusk-wise out of, out of Botswana since 1996. And there could be a little bit of a furor around it. Uh, there's already been a little bit of press from the antis about this elephant, um, and specifically the the uh, past Botswana president talking about it being an ecotourism treasure, even though it was hunted in a place that had no ecotourism operators in it for at least a million acres in its, its vicinity. So if you want, um, it's a great little topic uh, for you to dig into, specifically the science of um, elephant management and whatnot, and it happened literally yesterday. So my phone blew up today. Um, and then they, so they, they still measure right by, by the tusk. Yes, sir. These right, are so true hundred pounders that okay. people thought were not. Um, one one tusk weighed one hundred and seven pounds. One weighed ninety eight pounds. So it was a forty eight kilo tusk on the one hundred seven pounder. Wow, wow. Um, I had read a decent amount on uh, Alan Savory. You familiar with him? I have heard the name. So he's one of the people that like coined the the holistic management. Okay. Um, but one of the the things that that he talks about was he had a management plan that called for the culling of. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's where I know his name from. Yes, like 
several hundred elephants. Uh, yeah, in Botswana, Botswana has an elephant population of 100,000. The ecological carrying capacity based on wildlife ecologists estimate is 45,000 elephants. So the hunting of 400 elephants is not a human is not a population control mechanism. It's a community uplift, protein provisioning and reduction of wildlife conflict mechanism. If you wanted to go into a population control mechanism, you're talking about 30,000 elephants that you have to remove. It is it is something that nobody she wants would to get talk interesting about, right there. Which like is, the, the little comment notification thing on my phone would go through the roof. Nobody or, wants to talk about it. Zimbabwe, same situation. I think they're three times over carrying capacity for elephant populations. And, and what's that? What are you talking about? Is it 4,000 pounds? Of meat? I guess not the... What, what's the African elephant in Botswana on the average? Hoof? Yeah, on, on the hoof. Oh, gosh. I'll just do a quick Google size. Four tons. I'll just do a quick Google. Yeah, 13,000 pounds for a male, 7,000 for a female. That's a lot of meat. It's like this community that received this elephant's meat, this elephant's meat, were just absolutely ecstatic, lined up orderly, just monstrous amounts of protein being pushed into the community. Have a look at it. NG thirteen elephant management block NG thirteen Botswana. Okay, yeah, we we'll do. Yeah, I'll, I'll tune in. Be be interesting to hear about that one. Give you thanks, give Callahan. You guys, uh, give you guys a, a mention on on the podcast. Well, we appreciate that. Well, it's good good timing. Got to got to write the last little bit and get to recording here. So, well, there's a bunch of facts in the Blood Origins post today. If you want to read up on it, um, and let me know if you need any more information because I've got awesome. a bunch. Will do. Yeah, thank you guys very much, and uh, have a great thank week, you, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Definitely appreciate you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.